Hello, I'm Pastor Dan Salofra, I'm Senior Pastor at Crosswalk Church here in Levine in South Phoenix, and just want to thank you so much for joining us today. We are in a message series called Nobody But Jesus, and this message series is showing how Jesus is really different from religion, uh, different from any of the uh, any other religion in the world. And today what we're going to see specifically how he is different is how he has the power and the desire to calm the storms in our life. Now, as we begin, I'm gonna ask you to try to figure something out about yourself. And the, the question I have for you is when it comes to the news, where on the spectrum are you at with how up you are on the news. So over on this side would be someone who's getting uh, notifications on their app all the time of this is the new news story of the day, that you watch the news every day, maybe twice a day, maybe three times a day, maybe throughout the day. You like to see those updates to see uh, what are the latest things that are happening. Or on the other side, you might be a person who says news. Does anyone actually listen to that anymore? And so you would be on this side where you would be more of a, what I'll call an isolationist, meaning I, I control what, what comes in and the news I want to hear. And I'm pretty much uh, just have separated myself. And I don't know a lot of what's going on in the news or in politics or things like that. Now, when you look at that in terms of a, of a spectrum, uh, you might be someone like me who, over the years, I've kind of gone back and forth depending on what's going on. And so I would say probably a number of years ago, I was way over on this end of the spectrum where I was really knew what was going on and, and really up to date with the news. And I've probably drifted more this way, more towards the other way of that I, I just am not in touch uh, like I used to be. And what I've noticed is this, is that if you are someone, and, and at least for me, when I was someone who was really up to date on what was happening in the news, that after I did that for a while or for a longer period of time, it really kind of burned me out. And the reason why is there's just every day there's murders. Every day there's corruptions. Every day there's crime. There's always just a new thing that it, it just breaks my heart. And in some ways, I, as I thought about that, I, I think that must be like one of the hardest things to be if you're God, is to just know it all. Every Just be aware of all the pain and all the bad things that are going on in the world every day. But then on the other hand, if I slide all the way over to, to being completely out of touch, well, then what can happen is I don't care. I don't show my love. I don't pray for people who are in need. And so what I find, again, if you're like me, is you might go back and forth uh, between these, these two uh, different sides of the spectrum. Well, this... This past week, it was about a week ago, I, I, I will admit that there's a lot about the Ukraine that I, I didn't know, that, that I knew Russia had invaded. I'm familiar with some of the history of it and things like that. But what really changed it for me was being at a circuit meeting. And the circuit meeting was a group of pastors and somehow the, the subject came up and what I didn't realize is that the pastor who was sitting next to me 
had been a seminary professor in the Ukraine at a Ukrainian seminary for eight years. And just listening to him tell the story about these young men that, that he had trained at the seminary to be pastors, they're pastors in the Ukraine right now. And a couple who are on the, the far east side of Ukraine that they haven't heard anything from them or about their churches since the, the first day of the invasion. But then there are those other pastors who are on the western side of the Ukraine and they have, they've heard a lot from them, and, and a lot of it has been pleas for help because there, there are hundreds of thousands of people moving through those areas, coming to their churches, looking for humanitarian aid and, and looking for just things like water to drink or, or food or a, just a meal for the day. And as I listened to him and, and listened to his story, I was drawn, I think, more in to, to caring again and, and remembering there's a personal side to this, that there are people involved in this. And I know for many of you too, as you fill out the prayer request this past week, so many prayers uh, for people who are hurting and so many prayers for our country and for our world. And as I was listening to the this uh, pastor and, and former uh, teacher talk about this, he also talked about it in context of what it was like to live there, because he even now considers Ukraine like his second homeland. He, he loves the country. And what he said I found very interesting, and that is, former popular thought, uh, especially religiously in that area, would have been if there was something like an invasion or something like a war, that people would have asked the question, why is God punishing us? That, that there would have been a direct connection between we must have done something wrong and now God is, is letting this happen because that this is happening. And he said, those times have changed. And now what has happened is, is that especially the, the atheism uh, associated with communism and, and just in that area, that people are are rather saying there must not be a God because if there was one, he would not let this happen, that, that we don't deserve to have this happen to us. And so as, as we think about that, as you think about this today, how you wrap your arms around everything that goes on in the world and the, and the bad and the good, and it, it can lead us to, I think, the question, and that is, is there a God? And if there is, is God in control of the events of the world? And I think this is a, a worthy topic for, for us to discuss because what we are going to see is there is nobody like Jesus. Nobody uh, like Jesus as the Son of God who's true God and true man. And what we're going to do is, is we're going to look at uh, the storms of life today uh, we're going to look at a literal storm that Jesus was in. But we can also look at this in a metaphorical way, that the, that the storms of life, the hardships that we face, uh, issues like what are going on in the Ukraine, that, that we ask the question, is God in control of this world? And if so, what's he doing? 
And so with that kind of as our backdrop, we go into Matthew chapter 8, verses 23 to 27. And I'm going to read the whole account for you. It's just a short section. Uh, and, and this is what Matthew tells us. Then he got into the boat and his disciples followed, and his disciples followed him. So it's talking about Jesus getting in a boat. His disciples are with him in the boat. Suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him saying, Lord, save us. We are going to drown. He replied, you have little faith. Why are you so afraid? Then he got up, rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. And this is, again, God's word from Matthew chapter 8. Now, as we're, we're looking at this and we, we come up to uh, Matthew 8, understand that there is a context uh, that we don't just want to look at uh, this as just an isolated incident, but we look at it in context, specifically looking at Matthew chapter 8 and what was going on. And so I made a little bit of a fill-in just to, to help you with that. And that is the accounts around this reading included uh, a number of healings, a healing of different sicknesses, uh, including leprosy, which was considered uncurable. Uh, there were driving out of demons. So, so people brought these demons or demon-possessed people and Jesus drove them out. And then in a, in a very, almost seems it doesn't belong, and that's the fill-in, is the cost, and the cost of following Jesus. And so this is, this is interesting in this context, because before we even get to the storm, that there are individuals who are seeing what Jesus is doing, and they're like, wow, this is a guy I want to follow. I'm seeing him healing all these diseases, so if I'm or I'm ever sick, he could take care of me. I see his great power. He's driving out these demons. And so there were a lot of people who were attracted to that. And they said, wow, we want to, to follow Jesus. This is pretty cool. And when they, they started to do that, Jesus almost tried to talk them out of it in some ways. And, and he talked about the cost of following him. And he wasn't necessarily talking about how much it's going to cost you, you know, get, getting out your checkbook and uh, this is what it's going to cost. But rather he said, you know, birds, they have nests. But with me, I have no place to, to lay my head. When you think about that, Jesus really, throughout his ministry, was homeless. Uh, that, that he went to different places, but a, a lot of times they just stayed outside wherever they were. And uh, so, so he had this conversation with them. And then there even someone said, I want to follow you, but I need to go bury someone first. And he kind of harsh words, let the dead bury their own dead. And in these words, what Jesus is saying, it, it, there is a cost to following him, but it's a little different cost uh, than, than you might think. That it's, it's not about this world and it's not about you but rather it's about God and his purposes. And, and you, you're going to need to do that. If you're going to be a, a Christ follower, there's going to be an eternal perspective that you need to have. And maybe another way that I would say it is that Jesus is trying to set expectation. And, and that would be the next fill-in. And that is following Jesus is not just smooth sailing. That if, if you think, you know what, I'm going to follow Jesus because that is going to be uh, an easier life. That, that that is going to 
uh, be something that it's, it's just going to be a lot easier for me, that he's saying, no, that's, that is not the case. And, and you need to understand that going in. Now, the reason why I even bring it up with this message is because when we're asking the question, is God control in control of the world and in control of what's going on? I think the assumption we sometimes make is that if we're his followers, he's going to make it comfortable for me. He's going to make it easier for me because I'm his follower. So I would think it should be easier for me than for everyone else. And, and Jesus says, no. And, and as a matter of fact, in Matthew later on, 24 and 25, he talks about the end times when there will be things like wars and rumors of wars and famines and earthquakes and a lot of the things we're seeing today. And, and in a sense, he's saying those things might make you think that the world is out of control and out of my control, when in reality, he's saying, no, that it, these things must happen. They're like birth pains, warning people that something's not right here, uh, that this world is broken. We have a problem. It's a sin problem. And it's one that only Jesus can fix. So he, he has this conversation and the disciples get in the boat with him. And, and so they get in the boat. And again, I think the expectation is once they get in that boat, Jesus is with them. It's going to be literally smooth sailing that we'll be able to go out on the Sea of Galilee. We'll be able to go across and it will be an uneventful trip. But that's not what happened. Uh, the next words from Matthew 8, verse 24. Suddenly. So it, this is, it, it seems like it came out of nowhere. And, and there were storms like that on the Sea of Galilee. Suddenly, a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. And as we look at this, the, it, it, it is just this contrast here where it's this huge storm and, and these, these waves are coming, the waves are coming, so they're coming over the boat uh, that, that these seasoned fishermen, and a number of them were before they were followers of Jesus, they, they spent their lives on the water. So this was a storm and this was a big one. And, and because of that, they were wondering, what's Jesus doing? And again, the contrast with Jesus simply sleeping, laying there. And so the next fill-in is this. Events that happen in my life do not cause stress. That might take you back. Events that happen in my life do not cause stress. How I process events can cause this stress and anxiety. And how I prepare for events can help me remain calm. And now, that first part of it, you might want to challenge with this idea that the events that happen in my life uh, don't uh, cause stress. And you'll say, yes, they do. I have this and this and this. And you can list all the things that are going on in your life. That brings stress. But I would argue that by virtue of this reading, because those things that were causing the disciples so much stress weren't causing Jesus any stress. Uh, he's sleeping in the boat. And one of the reasons why is because of how they were processing this whole account. And so one of the things that I have, and, and I'm, it'll be up on the screen, and, and this is something that you are, are going to want to have for the future. It's, it's a little chart that we use that showed the events of life, the self-talk, which is our processing it, 
The emotions are words and actions and then habits and character, which is how we uh, approach things in our lives. So, so first of all, I think this is such a good example because of it shows how an event, events are really neutral. But this event specifically is the, the storm. And so a storm happens. The self-talk of Jesus is kind of, well, as he's sleeping, is God has this under control. Uh, I have nothing to worry about. The emotions then is he was calm. And his words and actions, is he, his actions were sleep, that, that he was able to enjoy peace and rest and calm even in the middle of a storm. And it wasn't that he was being oblivious. It wasn't that he was being naive. He wasn't over on this where he's burying his head in the sand, but rather he's he's more in the middle where he's recognizing, yeah, this is a storm. Uh, these things are going on, but God has this under control. The disciples, on the other hand, and, and we see this a little bit later, the event is the storm. The self-talk is, we're going to drown. We're going to die. If I, if I fall out of this boat, or if one of us does, or even if we stay in the boat much longer, or if this gets any worse, we are going to die. The emotion then is fear, uh, alarm, dread, lack of peace, anxiety, whatever you want to call it. And then the words and actions is, is to cry out uh, in, in fear. And, and in this case, that wasn't the worst thing because they were crying out to to Jesus who gave them help. So as you, you, you look at this and, and you think about this in life, use this, first of all, for whatever storms you are in, whatever it is that, that is causing you uh, a grief and hardship, but then also use this as you look ahead to things you know are going to happen in the future. This, this past week, I had the privilege of standing at the, the bedside, sitting at the bedside of, of an individual, uh, Dean Skorka, who I had the privilege of baptizing, uh, the privilege of bringing through confirmation class for communion, and also then to, to stand beside him as he was in hospice with him and his family as God called him home. And as you look at that, if, if you have ever been around uh, someone who's in hospice and watch them slowly, day by day, uh, leave this world and, and God slowly kind of break, break their hold on life and, and, and helping the family let them go, that event can be kind of scary and traumatic. And at the same time, you know, as I look at this, I've been, I've been around this block before. In 30 years of ministry, I've been in this storm before, and I've seen what happens and how God uses death to bring people out of this world to eternal life. And so as they're watching this and they're sad because they are, I come and I'm able to share with them God's word in the middle of their self-talk, giving them specific promises from God that even though that as we face death, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. And that, that's in the Gospel of John as Jesus is talking to Martha. And being able to share these words with individuals and, and many other places in Scripture where there's that comfort, you begin to see their emotions change. 
because now this event that they think is going to be the way that it's going to separate them from their, their loved one and, and all of those things, that now it's this opportunity where God is going to bring them from this world to the next. And this is the way that God is going to bring them out of pain to be with him. And so what happens is in the middle of that, there is grieving but there's grieving with hope. There, there's tears, there's, there's laughter, there's all kinds of different emotions going on as they have great memories and, and, and all of those things, but it changes. And so on the one hand, it, it, it's comforting in that moment, but it changes me. It changes me as I think of loved ones, again, I'll, I'll say losing loved ones in my life, uh, that I don't, I just don't call it losing loved ones anymore. I just don't. And I think the reason why is going through this process so many times begins to prepare me for the time when, when God will call home those friends of mine, members of Crosswalk, whoever it is, and I get to stand beside them. And one day I know it's going to be me in that bed. It's going to be me surrounded by my family. Or, or maybe it'd be quick. I don't know. But whatever it is, all of these things help to prepare me for the storm that I know is coming in life. And so I hope as you look at this, as we're answering this question, is God in control of, of the events of this world and of the storms in my life? Jesus' answer for that is, is absolutely positively, yeah, he is. And you can take comfort in that. Now, the the the, the, we go on because the disciples weren't quite there yet, and you might not be either. Uh, and there's times when I'm not. So the next words then are Matthew 8, 25. The disciples went and woke him saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. And, and you can look at that. Remember the events, the self-talk is we're, gonna, we're all going to die. Panic. That's, that's all we have. And, and really the question they're asking is why is this happening? So um, in the blank, you can write, I wrongly think if I don't see any good reason for what I'm going through, so as I'm processing this, if I don't see any good reason for a storm, there must not be one. God must not be in control. And, and that's where I started, right, when, when I was talking about the, the, the Ukraine and, and how when you get an atheist looking at pain in the world, the, the way they process it is they, the question is, is normal to ask. Why is this happening? And, and when you can't come up with a good reason or a reason that satisfies you, then the answer is God is unjust, God doesn't care, and ultimately when you take that to its ultimate, God does not exist. And, and that, that is where maybe the disciples are as they, they come to Jesus but now what Jesus is going to do is to direct them to different self-talk, different thoughts, and to calm even in the middle of the storm. Our next reading then we'll go to is Matthew 8, verse 26. He replied, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. And as we went through, it's always, it's always fun in sermon prep where we try to imagine Jesus' voice inflection when he replied, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? Is that what, did he yell it at him? Why are you so afraid? Or, or was it simply as he's waking up for his nap? Ah, 
oh, you have little faith. Why are you so afraid? I, we don't know. We, it, and if it was a storm and there was wind, he probably might have had to yell it so they could hear it. But, but either way, the point is, is that Jesus directs them to a different place. And, and to say, you know what, that self-talk you're in, that emotion that you're having as a result of how you're processing this is all messed up. Uh, you're not having faith in God and his promises as part of that. And so uh, what does he do to help show them that God is in control? Uh, he, he calms the storm. Uh, and so in the next villain is nobody but Jesus is in control of the storm. And I don't know, I, I, I was, as I was looking at this, I'm trying to think of ways to process this that I, that can fit in the small mind of mine. And the kind of what I think about it is like the washing machine at my house, that that is how God sees uh, the, the nature and, and the winds and the waves, that there are times when we put our clothes in the washing machine and we're doing it to clean it. And, and so part of that is the, the cycle work, it's agitated work, it's spun. And, and, and it is, it's like a storm, right, for the clothes. And, and, but the thing about it is, is there's a purpose to it, always is a purpose to it. And that is that it's cleaning the clothes. And at any time, if I open the lid, if I push in the button, it stops. And, that's, and the reason why is because I have control over that, um, that I can unplug it, I can turn it off at any time. Uh, I am in complete control of it. And so it is with God and with Jesus as the Son of God, true God and true man, that he is in control of the storms of life. Now, we get to the next words which show why this is so important. And that, first of all, Matthew 8, 27, which is the end of this account, says this. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this, even the winds and the waves obey him. So where, where they're looking at, they're looking at these events and the self-talk that they're looking at then is, okay, this guy just did something that's pretty incredible. What kind of guy is this? But the next passage that I have for you is from Matthew 14. And Matthew 14, there's another storm. And, and this time it was after Jesus fed the 5,000. It was... Uh, Peter walking on the water is a, a part of this account as well. And Jesus does the same thing. But listen to these words. And when, they climbed into, when he climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him and said, Truly, you are the Son of God. I hope you see that, that difference and how far they had come in just uh, a few chapters, six chapters of the book of Matthew, which was a little bit longer period of time. But you see the, the steps they had made in their faith and how Jesus had used them as they were his disciples, both by having things like a, a healing of sick people, the driving out of demons, being in the storms of life. That all of those things and Jesus' ability to, to go and control each one of them, that it, it didn't lead them necessarily to say, there shouldn't be any storms in my life. But when there are, I know Jesus can calm them. And when he does, it leads me and leads them to worship. To say, Lord, you, you were in control the whole time. 
And Lord, you have used this to, just like my clothes, to, to clean me, to, to bring me closer to you, to come to a better understanding of your power and my need for you in my life. I have, uh, next thing I have, it's not a Bible verse, but what it is, is it's a, a quote from a, a book by Timothy Keller called Prodigal Prophet. And it's a book I happen to be reading right now. And uh, it's a book about Jonah. And in the book of Jonah, there was also a storm. But this storm was connected specifically to Jonah's bad behavior, that Jonah was going away from God. And so God used the storm to bring Jonah back. And this is what, what Timothy Keller says. He says, the Bible does not say that every storm is the result of a sin, but it does teach that every storm can help reduce the power of sin over my heart. And I think that is the, is the beautiful thing, is that as we, we look at this and we ask the, the question, is God in control? In very specific ways, the disciples saw Jesus control. And each one of them led it. It led them to a, a faith strengthening where, where they were slowly beginning to, to believe in him more and come to a deeper faith and trust in him. And this was so important for the disciples because it would be a short period of time after this where they would see Jesus go through a storm as he was arrested. That, that they would see Jesus go through the hurricane of, of not only being arrested, but being found guilty of being a king. They would see him being nailed to a cross. And, and as they were watching that, I have to believe that they were thinking, how can there be a God? Or, or how can God let this happen? And the answer wasn't given to them until three days later when Jesus rose from the dead. And that's the beauty of this, is that the ultimate storm that Jesus has the power over is, is he has the power over death. And that is a storm, brothers and sisters, that we are all going to face one day. I already shared that with you. I, I had, again, I'm going to use the word privilege of being around a family this past week who faced that. And I'm not going to, it's not easy. It's not, and it's not necessarily easy for me either. It's, it's hard, remember, the, watching what's going on or, or being oblivious to what's happening. To be in that and to be in those situations, it's hard and it's heartbreaking to lose people we care about. But this is also a time, it was for the disciples and it is for us now, it is a time of preparation looking at these accounts of, of different things that, that Jesus did that showed his strength. And ultimately, though, as we face the ultimate storm of death, to know that he is control. He is in control. And so that is the event. And, and go back to that sheet one more time uh, where the event and the self-talk with, with, with Jesus, who, who is true God, that we can worship him even in, even in the storm, uh, that we know he has this great power which then brings us emotions of, of peace and comfort and even joy, knowing that, that we will be with him in one day in heaven, and he continues to use death for that purpose in our lives. And so the final fill-in that we have is this. Nobody but Jesus 
nobody but Jesus, uses the storm to teach me to abandon my own strength, to abandon my own strength, and to completely trust him. And now, as we're, you know, we wind this message down, my encouragement for you to take this to the next level for you is to identify two, maybe two different things that I would say. Number one, I, I would say, think of a storm from your past that God has brought you through. Think of something that, that in that day, because what happens is so many times we're in the storm and God brings us through the storm and then we, we act like it never happened before. That, that, that we have such bad memories that that just gets pushed aside. So first of all, I want you to think about a time when God brought you through the storm. And, and as you watch that, if you're watching with someone, share with them what it is. Uh, if you're uh, doing this on a, a live thing where there's a chat, share, share what that is. What is the storm that, that God has brought you through? And then secondly, that after you do that, I want you to identify a storm right now. What is an event that is going on that, that is troubling you that you can go to the Lord and that you're like, Lord, I know you are in control. I, I know you have this handled. And yet for me, Lord, it, it's troubling me. And so I'm bringing it to you. One way we're doing that at Crosswalk is uh, with support, we want to give humanitarian aid to refugees in the Ukraine. And so uh, from now and through Easter, we have opened a tab on the, the crosswalk giving for Ukraine and, and humanitarian aid. So whether you, you if you give it uh, through crosswalk, we will distribute that through a, a national our national church body a committee on relief. Or there, I think there might be some where you could look for other opportunities. However you do it um, is up to you. But, but that is one way that, that as people are asking God for help, that, that we get to answer um, as his children, showing support and care and concern, letting them know they are not alone, and God continues to look out for them through us. Let's pray. Dear Lord God, we asked the question and you've answered it. You are in control. You are in control of everything in this world. And we know that you, you continue to rule the world for the best interest of your church. And so that's for us, that, that you're doing that, Lord, to ever bring us closer to you, to help us despair of ourselves, but to trust in you, to know that you are completely trustworthy. And Lord, in, in the storms that we face today, in the difficulties that we have, the things that, that scare us, the things that make us wonder, am I going to drown? Lord, help us to come to you with those concerns, with confidence that you not only have the power to help us, but also the desire as well. Lord, we thank you that we can approach you at any time. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and always. Amen. Have a great week.